Hey, Dan Talks listeners, welcome to another episode of Dan Talks. This week, I'm talking to Dr. Christina Wyman, who is a fabulous writer who um, shares the same writing coach as me. And she has a few really fantastic recent articles that have appeared in some really big outlets uh, about estrangement and um, strained family relationships and how to deal with them during the holidays. So one of them for Wired is called How to Deal with Difficult Family During the Holidays, which includes a lot of different resources. She had a perspective piece in the Washington Post titled How to Grieve Estranged Family and Friends During the Holidays. And just recently on December 10th, had a think piece uh, published in NBC News titled GOP holiday photos with guns are the real war on Christmas. So needless to say, I was very excited to talk to Christina and get her perspective on the very complicated dynamics of family, especially during the holiday season. And I hope that it helps you out there if you're going through something similar. So I hope you are well. I hope the last of the Christmas shopping is going well. And I hope that me and Christina uh, are accompanying you on either Happy holiday preparations or necessary holiday preparations. Okay. Love you. Christina. (laughs) Um, Your articles about um, dealing with toxic or estranged family members during the holidays is a salve. Oh, thank you. Um, Tell me about it. (laughs) Um, Oh, boy. I I don't know where to start. So, you know, I've been wanting to write about it for a long time. And, well, when I say long time, I mean at least the last year and a half. But um, it really took that long to learn how to pitch it so that they actually get picked up. So, um, you know, I, I did try last season 2020 um and i got nowhere with it except really one editor was kind enough to write back and say that she was interested in this notion of grieving people who are still living but it never got anywhere with her um and so i've just been thinking about that notion all year really just like grieving people who are still alive which is not just a holiday thing like that's a daily 24 7 365 days a year kind of thing so um you know this season rolled around and i just kind of fine-tuned it and it turned into you know it, it just it just turned into this thing where I had a bunch of articles and not just this one. I mean, there was so much, there are so many different ways to talk about it that I just really took advantage of that. You know, Mm -hmm. even a tech piece, (laughs) like here's, Mm -hmm. here are the resources you can, the podcast, the audio books, whatever that you can listen to while you're traveling to meet toxic family. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are just so many ways to talk about it. So, well, that's what I was going to say is it wasn't the Lansing <laughs> Mirror or whatever. We're talking Washington Post. Yeah. <laughs> Guardian. Yeah. And Wired. Yep. 
Yeah. Those are big gets. This time. Um, earlier this year, it was also Marie Claire. And I Amazing. also have one in NBC um, that you might be, I'll send that to you. You'll, you'll be interested in that one. Um, yeah, there, there are, you know, toxic family is the gift that keeps on giving. So th th there are just so many ways to talk about it. Now, do you get messages from your family saying, why are you writing about toxic family? Are you writing about me? <laughs> um, no, actually. Um, no. And I, I don't care if they did send me messages. You know, my, my, my firm belief is that if you do not want to wind up in a relative's or a friend's essay or book or whatever, you would behave better, wouldn't you? Like, if you did not want that for yourself, you'd be a good person. I mean, the choice is, it's almost like I am absolved of responsibility here. The choice is not mine. You are choosing to behave in a particular way. I'm just a writer doing my job, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm being sort of facetious, but I'm- um, Right, well, I'm saying, it, it sounds very healthy. <laughs> or you sound very healthy. Oh, thank you so much. I, I blame therapy for that. I mean, you know, a few years of therapy really, um, really turned things inside out in a good way. And to be fair, you don't name names really in these big articles. You just say, like, I've gone through it. A lot of people have gone through it. Yeah. What do you think? You, you cite a couple times the study that 25% of Americans or 63 some odd million people yeah. have an estate, estranged family member. What do you think is the definition of estranged? That is such a good question. Um, you know, the, I do think it's from what I've read from other people who actually study this stuff. I don't really study this stuff. I just consume it for my own edification. Um, but from what I've seen, <clears throat> it is really a spectrum. So, you know, in my case, there are people who I just don't talk to them. They don't talk to me. There is zero communication. But then there are people, um, other people who, you know, they very intentionally say, okay, I talk to mom once a month on a specific Sunday for an hour. I mean, that level of low contact is also a version of estrangement, I think. So, so it really, it really is, a, I think, a spectrum from absolutely nothing to a little bit of something because you feel too much guilt to, uh, to cut it off entirely. You know what I mean? Let's talk about that guilt. Do you, have you encountered somebody who has set too firm of a boundary and regrets it? Oh, wow. Um, no, never in my life. Never in my life. What I've read and what I have experienced personally is that people who are cut off from toxic familial relationships say almost invariably that their only regret is not having done it sooner. So, um, so no, I I have never encountered someone who has such a regret. It's it's funny because I've been told I would have those regrets, and the people who say those kinds of things are typically not people who have had experience with estrangement. You know. But yet they feel qualified to dole out these kinds of um, 
judgments, criticisms, advice in some case, and meanwhile, they've never had the experience of it. Now, what if you have a lot of great memories with the toxic person? That's hard. That's hard because people usually are not all good or all bad. You know, we are all on a spectrum of some sort. And in my case, you know, um, the parent from whom I am estranged, she, she had, she has a lot of seriously wonderful qualities and you know, my childhood was not 100% bad, not by a long shot. My life with this person was not 100% bad. Um, but the, the kinds of behaviors that I had to distance myself from, became, they just began to overwhelm the good. It got to be way, way too much, way too inappropriate. Um, it's just that the things that began to happen with regularity were not okay. So, you know, as a person who has struggled with those very positive memories as well, that's what therapy is for. You know, that's when you bring your stuff to therapy and you dump it at your therapist's feet and you say, help me deal with this. And, and that's their job. That's what they do. You know, and you don't, you don't have to do it on your own. Um, I am so grateful to have that resource available to me because doing it on my own was proving unsustainable. Yeah. Did, did you ever think to yourself, I'm a big girl, I can handle this myself? Oh, no. No, no, what never. Did, what, did you, what did you think? <laughs> When you were handling it by yourself, what did you think that made you continue to try to do that? Yeah, so I, I did not come up under the notion that therapy is this thing that everyone should do from time to time to get through the harder stuff. There was no, uh, no talking about therapy ever. Um, you know, in my world, in my life, in my family, you have a problem, you deal with it. Now, my family in particular has a track record of really horrific results when you try to deal with your own stuff on your own. Um, there's lots of addiction. There's lots of broken relationships. There's lots and lots of estrangement. Um, all of this generational legacy stuff is uh, defined by people trying to solve their own problems. And um, eventually I got to the point, not quite 10 years ago, but almost where life just wasn't working. You know, I, I mean, everything else was going really well, my professional life, um, stuff like that. But my personal life was tanking and, and it meant enough to me to try to figure out another way to kind of, you know, toss the baton, give it to a professional and just get started on that hard work. I mean, that that's really how it happened. Um, I was beginning to notice my own patterns that were not serving me well. And somehow I had the wisdom to know 
that I just was not capable of doing this myself. And, and I don't know how I knew that. And I, I don't think I even articulated it in that way at the time. I just knew I needed help. What responsibility do you think you have or had to articulate what the boundaries are with this person? Oh, um, well, I did take responsibility for articulating those boundaries. And um, to my mind, it, it, was, it, it was a necessary thing to do. And I wrote her um, an email, quite a lengthy email about the things that were not working. And this was sort of the um, the climax after a series of events that had fallen into my lap um, inappropriately, unnecessarily. Um, and, and I was just coming to see how this had been the same old song and dance since childhood and you know i was turning at, th at that time i was 38 so i'm in my late 30s and i'm like why am i still being positioned by others to fix people's problems everyone in this situation is an adult but i'm the one who gets to fix everyone i'm not qualified for this i'm not interested in this I have my own life to lead. Um, at that time, I was leaving a position, <coughs> getting married, um, moving to another state, and, and life was changing all around me in these very positive ways, yet toxic family likes to throw little monkey wrenches into things. Um, they make good things less good and bad things even worse. And I, I, I was fed up, I was done. So, um, so I wrote an email about the things that weren't working and the things that needed to change. You know, it, it was not a, um, there, it, 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 it wasn't nasty. It wasn't, it wasn't a knockdown drag out kind of thing. It, it was just, I, I, don't, I don't really know what to compare it to, except that it was written from a place of love. It was written from a place of someone newly acquainted with boundaries and more than willing to begin trying them on. Um, and so I sent this message and that was the absolute last of the contact. She never responded ever. It's been crickets for three years. So, you know, which is also pretty typical too. People um, do not enjoy hearing about the boundaries they need to be um, respecting. Toxic people do not enjoy that. So it's not at all a surprise that um, things are where they are at this point. It's not a surprise, but it must be a disappointment. Well, we had been through this particular show, this circus. I mean, this this is by far not the first time. So you know it's it's always disappointing when someone you love would rather know that they have free range to be abusive 
than actually sustain a healthy relationship with you like like they're they're making choices they're choosing and it's like no if i if i can't be exactly what i want to be in all of my toxic outraged glory then i want nothing that's of course that's disappointing and really i i think i think sad deeply sad um but we have been through some version of this on a steady basis for almost 40 years. So I, I was well prepared for the inevitable. I mean, I, I knew, I knew what the outcome was going to be. Mm-hmm. I heard um, my favorite <coughs> definition of boundaries from the Brene Brown podcast, which wasn't Brene, but it was someone she was quoting, I forget, was boundaries are the closest distance but from between which I can love you and still love myself. Yes. Yep. I've seen a version of that too. Yeah. And, and that resonates, doesn't it? It really, really resonates. How do you stay happy when someone else is upset with you? You know, um, happy being relative, you know, representative of, how do I just stay cool? Right. How do I, how does one stay just content with the world and their lives? Um, that, for me has been particularly challenging. And then I encountered the work of Dr. Lindsay Gibson. And she's the one who wrote um, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. And she argues that, you know, your mom or dad could be angry. And that's okay. People are allowed to be angry. And when they're angry, you're also allowed to be happy, you know? So, so it's a really, um, I have to consciously remember that it, I, I used to have zero tolerance, zero threshold for other people being upset with me. And I know now that that's actually, that that's not, that's not me necessarily. That's not my personality necessarily. That is a trait that has been very deliberately installed in me because when people are upset with me, at least historically, the thing I want to do is run and fix that situation. And um, that took nearly 40 years to recognize and begin working to reverse. And, And it's just a matter of for me, reminding myself, I'm allowed to be perfectly okay. If someone else is not perfectly okay, if they're choosing to be angry, you know, now, now putting aside, if of course I've hurt someone, like hurt someone with my words or something or something I've done, if I've been inconsiderate in some way, that's a different story. You know, we all can um, benefit from making amends if we've legitimately done something wrong. So we're not talking about that, right? We are talking about someone who has chosen to be upset because they have not gotten their way over something, or they manufactured a crisis because that benefited them for whatever reason. You know, some people just like drama, so they manufacture lots of things to be angry about at any given moment. I mean, that, I I used to be responsible for trying to fix that. And 
when you're a kid and a young person who is responsible for trying to fix that constantly, you become an adult in trauma therapy. <laughs> I mean, that's the reality and that was my reality. So um, I'm with a wonderful therapist who um, taught me that other people are not my problem to fix under any circumstance. What do you, I also want to emphasize, um, we mentioned it earlier, that toxic family is not an all-encompassing term. It's more family who behaves toxically, perhaps consistently. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I sort of want to change my own language about that, like person who's done toxic things or, yeah. you know, something to that effect. What do you do with um, a person that might have been, or that a person that was, that did toxic things to you? but maybe has not done them to others in your family, in your mm -hmm. close circle. And so they don't have the same experience as you have. How do you Yeah. Sort of, you know, uh, yeah, how, how do you deal with that, right? So yeah. um, interestingly, in my situation, because this is such a general, a, a generational legacy, um, there have been situations where you have one person who's being treated really badly because they are a scapegoat and you have other people who are not necessarily being treated the same way and so people are reporting on um, these disparate experiences but then the scapegoat removes themselves from the equation and suddenly the other people start getting treated the way the scapegoat was treated right so at least in my situation, everyone at some point has had a similar experience with the abuse, with the abuser, you know, and this is just my family, I cannot speak to any other situation. No one gets out unscathed because no one decided to end the cycle. Like I am the first generation that that is actively working to end the cycle. Um, prior to that, it, it, it and generationally, my parents' generation, grandparents, great-grandparents, lots of children, it was an absolute free-for-all and nobody knew any differently. So, um, you know, it is true that um, my sister, for example, has had very similar experiences to me, but she interprets them differently. That's her choice. You know, it's, it's her journey. It's her life. And if there's some sort of payout for her interpreting these things differently, then I, I am powerless to control that. And I, I don't want to control that. She is going to have to come to things in her own time, in her own way. So I would say, you know, if there are people who are all having these different experiences under sort of that same umbrella of abusive parents or someone abusive, I mean that that's actually really normal and that's really typical you know and 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 it's also really intentional it's an intentional way to kind of create teams 
I guess, within the family, these toxic little teens. But in the end, I think, I, I think the abuse unveils itself pretty, um, pretty similarly across people in the end. Do you um, have your um, estranged family member or members blocked or not on your cell phone? Oh, well, from what I've heard, I'm blocked. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's that. Um, and that seems to happen when, when my writing comes out, <laughs> like I get blocked. So that's fun. Um, I, I used to have them in my cell phone. I've only just recently removed that listing. And I don't know quite why I did that. I think, I think maybe there was um, just a, maybe it was cathartic or maybe, maybe it, it's also a, a new level, a, a, a new level of progress, you know, Maybe it said something to me like, I've come to terms with the fact that this is reality. I don't need them in my phone. I also don't want to accidentally message or butt dial someone either. So, mm -hmm. you know, so yeah, so I'm blocked, but I have um, taken steps to remove people from, from the phone as necessary over time. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like, I guess, <laughs> Because my real question is, do you feel like the door is open for you or is the door closed? My door is always open. My door has been open. It remains open. It will stay open. Provided that, um, I don't want to say provided that certain conditions have been met because this is not a business. You know, it's not a contract. I, I'm not... That's well, contracts to find boundaries. The social contracts, right? Yes, um, yeah. yeah. If if an actual effort has been made to um, acknowledge their role in the decline of the relationship, because it's it's not on me. It's absolutely not on me, and I am comfortable with that knowledge. Um, if, if an effort has been made there, my door is always open. So it's really, that's not my choice. You know, they get to, they'll, they choose whether they walk through it. I choose whether or not I allow that to actually happen based on, you know, if progress has been made, if, if, if some effort has been made to treat me like a human being and to, re to acknowledge me as a human being and as an adult who is entitled to inner peace you know these things um so my door has never been closed um i i can't say the same for them i i just don't know but but that's that's where i stand and that's where i've always stood mm -hmm. and what does that open door metaphorically look like I, like at, what does it look like literally it i i would never in my life be opposed to a text or a phone call or an email or some sort of interaction where it's been made clear to me that inner work has been accomplished such that they are in a healthier place where 
I am not then going to be further victimized by their behavior. You know, so I, I am to me. I know I live far from family too. I live across the country, so you know I don't have to worry about anyone showing up to my house or anything. So we're you know metaphorically that door is really any form of communication. I'm open to that. What I'm not worried about. I'm sorry. Continue. Well, what what I, what I'm not open to is some sort of continued diatribe or part two from whatever happened a few years ago like I'm not I'm not willing to pick that up again so if it were like some effort to you know three years later give me a piece of their mind or something that's no I I am not required to engage that but um but some you know some humanity would be nice and, and you're not concerned about being further victimized or triggered by having those channels open to them to to say either of those things i am i'm in a good place personally you know i've been in therapy i've been in a lot of therapy and if the therapy is good you come out stronger on the other end and that's where i am so I can't say for sure that I know how I would respond if some of those old patterns resurfaced, you know. Um, I used to have to very consistently just defend my own honor constantly. Like, oh, you think I'm a person who does X, Y, and Z. I'm actually not that person and here's why. I don't need to do that anymore. I have zero interest. I don't have the energy for that crap. So um, so I know, I, I think I can be confident now that if I sensed some old destructive patterns reemerging at any point in contact with a person, um, I, I, I think I would know what to do with that. I, I think I would know to just squash it. You know, but I'm I'm also. I, I guess I'm just pretty good at that kind of thing at this point. I I mean the boundaries. Uh, boundaries are addicting, <laughs> you know, especially when you've never had any, and then you get a taste. It's like wow, give me more of that. So mm -hmm. I think my boundaries are pretty rock solid. It makes me think about when I had a job once and I said to my therapist, I just wish they would fire me. And oh she my said, God. have you thought about, and she said, have you thought about quitting? Yeah, <laughs> that's a wonderful response. That's an appropriate response. Yeah. And then, you know, talked about that for two more weeks and then I quit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what? That, that reminds me too. I, over the past year, I had struggled with <clears throat> a couple of friendships and sort of long-term friendships and I didn't really know what what where they were going at this point and or where I stood I guess I should say I did not know where I stood and I sort of felt like I was in some weird limbo or purgatory waiting for someone else to make a decision about where I stood in this relationship and my therapist said well, why is it up to them? You know, and, and I, I think that's a very similar sentiment. And 
Um, and I'm so glad she said that because I, I got to really make decisions for myself about how to move forward. Mm-hmm. And I, I was reminded that I'm allowed to make decisions for myself about how to move forward, right? Mm-hmm. Which is not something you are taught when your family is dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. So I could still see even, you know, in my fourth decade of life, some of those earliest patterns and conditioning and training, I'm talking when I'm four, five, six years old, I can still see some of that playing out in certain ways, you know? That's how powerful that stuff is. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget when my ther- I was dating a new guy and my therapist said, I was talking about him, you know, saying all these different things and she finally said to me, do you like him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, was, and there was the longest pause. <laughs> <laughs> that pause probably told you everything you needed to know. It did. <laughs> um, Christina, tell us about um, your forthcoming book in 2023. Yeah, sure. So it's um, it's based on a personal essay, one that I wrote for the Washington Post about having um, a very common skeletal deformity. Like any anyone who's wearing braces is wearing braces because they have a skeletal deformity, or as defined by the doctor. Um, Mine happened to be a little more severe than is typical. So I wrote an essay about this. It wound up in the Washington Post. And um, and long story short, I connected with an editor at Macmillan who, um, who really resonated with the essay and wanted to see a book written about this uh, from a child's perspective, so a children's book. And um, so it's really, it's a book about that, a book about a, a middle schooler going through it. I mean, she is just going through it. Her sister is her worst bully on earth. Um, her parents are useless. The kids at school are bullies beyond bullies. And they have, um, she has her dental issues um, that, that are, have sort of uh, been the catalyst for all of this. And um, there, there's also a lot of social class stuff thrown into the mix. They're a working class family, and um, and that's meaningful, you know. So, so that that's what the book is. I'm still writing it. It's still being heavily edited, and hopefully, hopefully, sometime in 2022, we'll have a cover. And in the first half of 2023, hopefully, it'll be on shelves. So we'll see. Well, Christina, thank you for your work and thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm so sorry about the shenanigans. Last week was was not a gift from God, I can tell you that. It, it, it was no. just insane. It was Getting insane. your booster shot is important and I'm willing to reschedule for anyone, <laughs> any guest, any person who wants to get a booster shot. I will reschedule. <laughs>